0: And welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for May 22nd. My name is Dylan Flynn. My name is Trevor Ickrath. Trevor, I just came back from what we in the South call a crawfish boil. I'm actually very familiar with crawfish.
1: Those Those little underwater bugs that you eat that are really disgusting.
0: They're for sure bugs. Like, that's the thing. I think at one point I referred to them as bugs, and somebody got real upset about it. Like, they're shellfish.
1: No, they are bugs. I don't understand they're how people sure can eat lobsters, crabs. A crab is a giant spider that crawls around underwater.
0: Oh, for sure. But even those, like, if you want to get all hoity-toity and call them, call them shellfish, then that's on you. But, but these, these little guys, the difference between a, a crawfish and a cockroach is, is semantic.
1: There's a giant crawfish festival um, that my mom used to go to in New Jersey that is just a giant, basically a Coachella of people who eat crawfish. So just picture just a giant field that smells like a thousand billion crawfish all boiling at once.
0: Ooh, yeah. It is definitely, it's a rivery smell. I
1: think she still goes to that to this day. I don't know.
0: Well, maybe maybe, uh, on this humans tour, maybe gorillas will play the New Jersey Crawfish Festival. Maybe. I guess we'll find out. Uh, Trevor, before we get into the news, I wanted to, to do a little bit of uh, community uh, housekeeping. Okay, let's let's talk about that. One of our listeners uh, wrote to us suggesting that we start a, a Discord, a Hallelujah Monkeys Discord server.
1: Right, the kind of chat room thing that we uh, have mentioned on the show before.
0: And yeah, and since you and I are both fairly active on Discord, I thought maybe that'd be a fun thing to do. So uh, if you're listening to this and you want to check it out, you can go to discord.me slash monkeys with a z and uh, it'll invite you into our discord server just you know a place that you can catch up with trevor and i or other listeners and debate and whatnot it's pretty bare bones at the moment but hey let's get a let's get a a, a little community headquarters going
1: yeah we'll see how this plays out
0: um are you ready to get into the news
1: let's talk about the news, the good news
0: trevor dylan we thought that the G-Mixes, the the sort of band member playlist that went up on Spotify shortly before Humans came out, we thought and speculated on this show that we would probably get a new one every month. I do remember that. Uh, and it seems like we are because the second ones drop uh, this week. So there's four new 10-song playlists. They're all, of course, curated by one for each member of the band, sort of curated in character by them. I listen, let's see, I listened to Murdoch's all the way through and Russell's all the way through, and then I kind of sampled my way through the other ones. Um, this is something that I would file under the kind of, like, uh, label promotional shenanigans, you know? Like, I, I doubt that a, that a central creative figure in the Gorillas partnership is involved with putting these things together, you know?
1: Right. Know what I kind of miss, though? Do you remember in Phase 3, back when they used to do actual radio shows? Oh,
0: sure. Murdoch's Pirate Radio.
1: Like Murdoch's Pirate Radio. That'd be such a good thing for them to bring back because I'm not sure if you're familiar uh, with it, but Frank Ocean has a regular radio show on um, Apple Music now called Blonded Radio where he, like, gets on every, like, i don't know is it a week or like two weeks or everything and he plays just some music that kind of influences him and every now and then he'll drop like um a new single or something like that or a remix
0: well and then even leading up to the like at the very beginning of phase four noodle had that soundcloud playlist that had like little spoken interstitials and stuff like yeah that seems like a no-brainer i don't know why they're not doing it that way it'd be so
1: cool to do it that way because then they could uh like you know just give us these little teasers of new tracks and stuff because uh turns out we're getting a couple new gorillas tracks in the near future right
0: yeah, we are getting a few, uh, just a sample of those, uh, those super deluxe vinyl tracks that we went in depth on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we knew that eventually the Japanese edition of Humans would be announced and that they would put something on there as a bonus track. That's like a weird sort of antiquated physical format phenomenon is that the Japanese edition of, a, of an album will always have one or two exclusive songs on it. Especially from like big British bands like Gorillaz does it, Radiohead does it, right? I don't know. I don't know why that doesn't. It seem like that would have been a thing that would have gone by the wayside in this kind of dwindling physical format era. Seriously, I I really don't get it. But hey, as long as we're getting new tracks out of it, right? So yeah, here's what we're getting. We're getting the drum special of Andromeda, and we're getting the uh, the Faya Yunan special of Busted in Blue. Um, but what's crazy, Trevor, is that this shit is going down soon yeah it's uh may 24th right may 24th so like this week as you're listening to this in just a couple of days you're gonna hear new gorillas music if you are savvy enough to go go looking for go it, looking for it. or if you know
1: somebody in japan
0: i'm sure next week trevor you and i will we'll take a look at those songs and give our thoughts right? yeah i
1: can't wait to hear what this alternate busted and blue sounds like but hey we're getting more new gorillas material too we're going to be getting a new music video, right?
0: Oh, my God. So exciting. We didn't know for sure that this was happening because, I mean, the, the, the feeling was, well, there's not a lot of money going around in the record industry at this time. And Gorilla's videos are pretty expensive to make. And you know? maybe
1: Jamie's saving all those resources for the animated show they're talking about doing.
0: Right. He could just be too busy even. But, yeah, uh, on Instagram, uh, somebody posted a, on an Instagram post on Noodle's Instagram said, uh, another music video, please. And then Noodle responded, we are about to start. and so. Uh, that's our, that's our official announcement that a, that a, a second music video uh, for Humans is in the works. Now, Trevor, I want to talk about this because it's time to start speculating about what song they're going to pick. Right. We've talked about this, right? And I kind of – we have a kind of consensus going on, I think. Well, I, I, I think that there's what the fan base wants and there's what the streaming data tells us. You know what I mean? Right. I don't know if you agree with me on this, Trevor, but I have a feeling that they're not going to use any of the – pre-release uh, promotional single songs, because I think that would be a, a bad choice to try to build new buzz for humans to, like, try to push the song that everybody's already been hearing for a few months, you know, and that, like, already had its shot at radio play? I think we could get one for Let Me Out.
1: I'm not ruling that one out. The other, like, Ascension, Andromeda, We Got the "Power." Definitely not. I could
0: see uh, Let Me Out happening. That is possible. But but I'm going to go ahead and say, if we rule out those those pre-release singles, okay. Uh, these are the most streamed album tracks from humans, okay? Right. Hit me with them. Number one is Moments. Okay. Number two is Submission. Number three is Strobe Light. And number four is Charger. Now, within the fan base, I would say that the two leading tracks that I hear fans wanting music videos for the most are Moments and Charger. Those those seem to be the fan favorites.
1: Charger, really? I would have put um, She's My Caller above there. I've seen a lot of people clamoring for that one. I don't know. I mean, Moments or She's My Caller, uh, those are the two that I would actually expect most. Moments, because it really does seem to have this kind of fan favorite, almost like single trajectory going to it. And She's My Caller, they performed that at the Colbert show, and that was really cool. So, I mean, I
0: could definitely see them Pushing that one more as a single. So I'm going to get into some real fan nerd shit, Trevor. But I was in the middle of a, of a fan conversation when this news dropped of like, what would you like to see if there was a moments video? Okay. Um, and somebody, I don't remember who it was, I wish I could credit you, but somebody said like, well, I could see it starting the way that the Dirty Harry video starts with like 2D walking up to a keyboard and, and playing it like he does in the Dirty Harry uh, video. And I was just thinking like, man, I'd love it to just be totally different than everything we, anything we've gotten before, you know? Uh-huh. And so here's my... My pitch this is my this is my fan video pitch for a moment 's video okay okay uh, i don't i don't think that jamie's gonna make this video, but I guess my secret dream would be like some crazy talented listener would make a fan version of this video that i'm about to describe all right but
1: for for the sake of this podcast let's pretend that we are now sitting in front of damon and jamie they're behind a big desk uh you've got a chart kind of set up you're flipping through it so let's like a shark tank
0: situation exactly
1: let's pitch damon and jamie our music video right now because hey for all we know they are listening Hey, guys.
0: Okay, so you got De La Soul, you got Paz and Trugoy, and they are mad scientists, okay? White lab coats. I'm talking old school computers with, with ticker tape spitting out of them and, and beakers full of weird liquids and things like that, right?
1: Okay, I'm following.
0: And they're set up in this in this weird, like, laboratory slash nightclub, right? So there's disco balls, but there's also science shit around. Sure. And then... They are unveiling their new invention, and it's this ray gun, right? But what happens when you, when you shoot somebody with this ray gun, Trevor, either it ages you forward or it ages you backwards.
1: Cool, so you're playing with time. That's interesting.
0: Yes, exactly. So every time there's a moments in the chorus, right, they blast one of the band members, and they either become older or younger. Oh, that's right? a lot of
1: fun. Cool. Then we could, we could see, like, Phase 2 Noodle and stuff like that, too.
0: Exactly, yeah You could go back to old phases and shit You could do something fun Where, like, you know Like, maybe 2D gets turned into an old man And, like, Murdoch's hitting him in the head And torturing him and shit But then, like, Murdoch gets turned into a toddler And now old man 2D can chase him around and like, That's great And then I was thinking, like So Russell is kind of separated from the action He's, like, he's sort of turntabling, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And then at the very end In that last chorus You know how the beat kind of drops out And it goes into that Krautrock yeah. thing? So in that last chorus On that last moment uh, Have Russell get blasted and he turns into a baby and he's just like on on the record just like a baby on the record sort of traveling in a circle around when that beat falls out, you know? Great. Uh, and then, like, on the plastic on the ceiling, you could have, like, you could have, like a, a phase one style noodle doing the plastic on the ceiling thing.
1: So would, um, would when they age back to phase one and phase two, would the art style shift to uh, go back to those kind of the style Jamie drew them in back then?
0: I mean, I think that'd be fucking awesome. That'd
1: be pretty cool. That's a really cool idea for a music video. Damon, Jamie, if you're listening... Let's make it happen.
0: Uh, but we'll see. I'm really excited to see what they decide to do for this uh, for this single. And I'm interested to see, like, do you think that they'll, that they'll put out, like, a digital EP with some B-sides on this thing? Like, what do you think they'll do?
1: I, I can't see that happening. I think it would just be the music video.
0: Well, whatever we get, I'm very excited that we're getting it.
1: Yes, definitely me too. You know what else I'm excited for?
0: What are you excited about?
1: Talking about the fall.
0: Oh, let's get into the roundtable. Let's get into the roundtable. <laughs>
1: All right, Dylan, so I don't know about you, but I have been looking forward to this episode so much. You know, the fall, don't have a lot of experience with the fall, but, you know, for this one, I decided to get super prepared. I pulled out uh, Hex Induction Hour, pulled out Palace of Swords Reversed. I got this nation's Uh saving grace. I am all ready to talk to you about the classic material of Marky Smith's (laughs) 80s post-punk band.
0: God forbid, Trevor. Do you think someday we'll will ever be hard up enough for for content that will do a best of the fall? The he's band? One of,
1: when we start getting into the collaborator episodes. He's one of the first ones I want to cover. I'm I'm serious, Ugh. but for real, I do have a lot of stuff to talk about.
0: Yeah, the the 2010 tour diary slash proper Gorillaz album, The Fall, uh, released on on Christmas Day. That was, at that release, Trevor was free and for the fan club only, and then later. It was there was a physical issue of it that was sold for regular album prices. I think that one came out in April of 2011. Yeah, I felt a little jaded by that commercial release. Um, I always kind of saw it as as uh, if you if you must have a physical version of this, that's yeah, an option now thing. Yeah. Uh, Trevor, you might remember last week we asked our our listeners, especially those who love The Fall, to uh, send in audio of them talking about why it's so special to them. And we are we have all that stuff. It's amazing. We're going to play it after our review. So be sure to stick around to the end of the show so that you can hear a, a, a counterpoint, another view, if you will,
1: on The Fall. Yeah, people had a lot of cool stuff to say. I didn't really listen to these initially because I wanted to re-explore The Fall without any kind of... Um outside influences but i did listen uh to the collage you threw together this morning and it came out it's there's a lot of fun interesting stuff in it so we'll get to that later
0: so i'm very excited and a little nervous because i feel like two nights ago like in the middle of the night you you messaged me and you were like i just blew the fall wide open i did (laughs) i have come to
1: such a higher
0: understanding
1: of this record than i've ever engaged with it before
0: Little teasers, I think uh, last night you said, uh, "I hope you're ready to talk about tarot cards. <laughs> are you are you? I- I'm ready for anything, dude. I'm buckled in. Let's hear it I'm going to take you and our listeners on a journey
1: this episode, okay,
0: okay um, before we before we get too heavy into it, do you have what like what's your first memory of the fall and like the surrounding that release? Do you have anything that you that comes to mind? I remember it dropping um christmas
1: Christmas Eve night. I was uh, in my bedroom uh, playing guitar. I was recording a cover of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. (laughs) Were you? That's awesome. I was. Um, Then the fall came out. I stopped doing that to listen to it. I went to church with my mom that night because, you know, it was Christmas Eve. Then I came back home and listened to the fall. Wasn't super on
0: board I remember one of my I think this might be my first Memory of the fall I was really, really checked out Of the fandom at this point um, Right I think the first I heard of the fall Was you messaging me about it Around that time on on Facebook Really? Uh, yeah, I think you were like Have you heard the fall yet? And I was like No, what is that? And you were like What? It's a new Gorillaz album I was like, what? And you're like Oh, well, don't get too excited It's not that good <laughs> Sounds about right. That checks out. <laughs> you know what? I, my first, my first uh, experience with the album was watching the music video for "Phoner" to Arizona, and getting halfway through it and being like, "I don't have fucking time for this." And I didn't listen to that album for <laughs> several months. Like it, it took me months to come back and listen to The Fall. Mm-hmm. Trust me, Trevor. I scoured the internet this week looking for interviews about The Fall. There aren't a lot, are there? There are like two. <laughs>
1: And they're all just, like, Damon saying, yeah, it's a love letter to America. I made it on my iPad. I released it right away so people wouldn't think I tampered with it in the studio. Just really boring
0: shit. And, oh, the only, the only interesting tidbit is that he wanted to call it October, but right. he couldn't because you two already had an album called October. <laughs> I knew he'd do it. And The other thing that I like, uh, that I actually do like about those interviews, Trevor, is that he, he multiple times, he makes direct comparisons to Demo Crazy. I haven't, I didn't actually see any of those. That's cool. Yeah, he says, he says, uh, uh, I made an album like this when I was touring with Blur called Demo Crazy, and he's like, but because it was so clunky, the technology back then, it was harder to kind of focus in and make the songs grow into something, and you you felt like you were really sketching, and now I feel like I really have a a full studio or blah, 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 right?
1: Well, there's not a lot of good Damon interviews about this uh, album, but there is a great little kind of, not really an interview, but... Two D and Murdoch did an episode of uh, Murdoch's Pirate Radio show exclusively yeah, about the Yeah, I think it
0: fall. was episode five. Yeah, I, I listened think. to that
1: last night in preparation. Really cool little, a lot of cool stuff going on in that episode.
0: Yeah, they kind of push Revolving Door as, yep. the, as the single. That is cool. I recommend you go. I think all of those are on YouTube. You should go yeah, check that's out right. yeah. uh, Murdoch's Pirate Radio episode five for a little bit of in-character chatter about the fall. It's really good. Okay, Trevor, what, what's going to happen now? Are, we gonna, are, we, are you about to blow my mind? Like, what's going to happen here?
1: Well, I don't have, um, you know, we usually put together three, we come up with three adjectives to describe what we think about the record. I haven't done that this time in favor of talking about all the other crazy shit I'm going to talk about. Do you have three adjectives?
0: S- I do. Should I get those out of the way before we get into your... Yeah, why don't you hit me with those? And then I'll take you over to a higher plane. My three are observational, haphazard, and anticipatory. Interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll delve into anticipatory a little bit. I Something I kind of learned about this album over the last week is that I think it's a really solid driving album. Um, I think this album sounds better on a car stereo driving down a freeway than it does... On headphones or on a stereo system, really, there's something that it captures about the feeling of waiting to get somewhere, which makes sense because that's what you're doing while you're on tour. You're always waiting for there the— There is
1: a restlessness to it, yeah.
0: Yes, exactly. That really that really kind of started to, to solidify in my mind as I, as I studied these songs a little bit closer. We'll get more into observational and haphazard in some of the specific songs uh, as we get to them. Okay. I've been thinking a lot about context uh, and art this week, mm-hmm. almost anything you go into to watch or to listen to or to read, you're bringing some kind of baggage about that thing with you. You know, you, you often hear like, oh, I didn't really like that movie. Everybody kind of hyped it up for me too much. Or you hear like, you know, everyone said that movie was going to suck, but then I finally saw it and I, I thought it wasn't bad. So there is this kind of thing where the the, the the chatter, the buzz outside of us, it really does affect the way that we we consume the media that we consume, you know? I agree with that. I've been thinking about Context and The Fall a lot this week because this is an album that is so hard to divorce from that context. It's so hard to listen to this album without thinking about iPads and apps and tours and cities and one-day recording sessions. Like, it's very difficult to close out all that chatter and just listen to that music for what it is. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about does the context – does all that context uh, hurt The Fall or help The Fall? And I think what I came what I came to decide is that when you stand outside of the fall and look at it it's hurting the fall because it makes you very dismissive of the album you you think like ah that's just a fuck around album made it on a bunch of apps okay you know but then when you're in the middle of the album when you're actually listening to the album I think the context helps it because you're like this sounds kind of dope considering the circumstance that that birthed it
1: you know see I I got to admit I'm a little bit of the opposite of that way because I don't really think the music on this album is good enough to justify its existence. I think it really gains a lot, and I primarily enjoy it as a document of the tour.
0: I think that is kind of what I'm saying. I'm saying that when you're in the middle of it, like... The fact that each of these songs is a, is, a, is a small document of a moment and is, you know, being woven together from all of these weird iPad apps and that sort of thing gives it a, a body, a fullness, that the music itself doesn't necessarily have. Right. Uh, okay, let's hear it. Let's hear it, Trevor. Are you gonna? What's going on? All right,
1: so, Dylan, you're an educated man. Sure, I'd say so. Am I right in assuming that you're probably familiar with um, The Hero's Journey, a narrative pattern described by American scholar Joseph Campbell? Yes,
0: comparative literature uh, legend Joseph
1: Campbell. It kind of outlines this archetypical story of a hero facing a challenge and obtaining some kind of reward for overcoming it. Yes, exactly. Right, so I've been thinking a lot about The Fall. I've been listening to it a lot, and the more I listen to it, the more it seems like these songs as the album progresses mirrors the steps that Campbell outlines in this hero's journey. Whoa, okay. I'm not saying that it's a narrative concept record following a story or anything, but the moods that Damon explores here kind of turn the record into this document of musical self-exploration where he kind of much like the album says descends into a dark and kind of challenging part of himself in order to uh kind of wrestle with the frustrations that he was obviously going through during this gorillas american tour and
0: kind of find some kind of find some inner peace from it right and hopefully to grow and to change because of that that Those difficulties you face so that you can come back At the end uh, being a better version of yourself You know I wonder Trevor If if what you're hearing there isn't doesn't have something to do with the fact that going on a national tour, I think you're going to slip into a lot of the Campbellian Heroes journey rhythms. You know, definitely. There's always going to be that that stretch of the tour where you're like, "Fuck, I just want this to be over with." There's always going to be that that moment where you get to that city and you're like, "Oh, where has this city been all my life?" You know, like mm-hmm. it would make sense that if you're emotionally kind of going through that Campbellian hero's circle, that journey, that the the music you're making along the way would reflect that. Right now. I
1: don't think Damon set out to make an album about this kind of cycle. I just think the way that this album was recorded in chronological order, which is something I actually didn't know about. And I think it's pretty cool. I just think you can see that his like frustrations began seeping into the music more and more. And so as we go through the tracks, I want to walk you through each uh, stage of Campbell's hero's journey that I think each kind of sound and idea behind them represents. That's so exciting. I'm really
0: excited about that. Do we need any more context for that? Yeah,
1: I, I don't think so. It's just kind of like, uh, you know, it's going to be your uh, humans fan opera, but like on acid.
0: Oh, I'm so excited. That's yeah. that's dope. Uh, this could totally change the way that I that I hear th- uh, the fall and see the fall from I now I think on. it's going to change
1: the way a lot of people hear the fall. So why don't we get to it and start talking about... Phoner to Arizona? Yeah, let's talk about Phoner to Arizona.
0: This was recorded on October 3rd in Montreal, Quebec. Potentially also, it's about calling into arizona to give an interview on a radio station
1: (laughs) right did you um did you get the article i sent you about this
0: one you did send me an article about
1: this today and i and i did give it a read yeah so apparently damon had this phone interview uh To a radio station in Arizona or something. And it kind of ended abruptly when the guy accidentally hung up on him.
0: Which does... There is something kind of funny about the idea that like he had had set aside all this time for an interview. And then the interview stopped short. So he's like, alright, fuck it. I'm going to go make a song instead. And so I think this one... What do you think of this one as an opener? Awful! Fucking awful, dude. Really? Yeah. I think putting Phoner to Arizona as the first song on the fall is maybe the most damaging thing that could have been done to this album. In I fact, love it. I love the it. The only thing that I think is more damaging, Trevor, was making a music video for this song. I think it's great. This song is nearly five minutes. It goes almost nowhere. The elements are added and then taken away, and the song practically loops halfway through. It's overlong, but the problem for me is when you make Phoner to Arizona your fucking music video, you're saying, hey, check out the new album from Gorillaz. You're not going like it it's a fuck around it, it's listen to how long and pointless the song is like yeah no i don't like the song it, it it's five it's five minutes long and it feels like 15 to me let uh, me tell
1: you why i like this song right i like this song so much because and it works perfect as an opener because it perfectly establishes the setting of the fall which is the gorillas tour can i tell you how uh 2d described owner to arizona on um, the Pirate Radio Show. Did you listen to it? Yeah, please. All right. Go ahead and give me a He the describes quote. it as a soundtrack to a train journey. It's a horror train, actually, going from one station into a horrible descent into darkness, nighttime travel, and mayhem. As the tour progressed and got messier, this relentless train hurtled through the night, smashing its ghostly way from city to city, an unstoppable juggernaut of hedonism, chaos, and mayhem. It's a horror score, actually. How fucking badass is that? Come on.
0: I mean, I can hear that reflected in some of that music. Absolutely. I just wish that it was constructed differently. I think, it's, I think it's too overlong.
1: This is Damon saying, welcome to the nightmare tour of my dreams. I'm not the biggest fan of America. Did you know that? Damon's not a huge fan of America. He says this is right. a love letter, but after he toured America for the first time with Blur, he decided to make an album called Blur versus America. That's how much he has a distaste for it. That album would actually become Modern Life is Rubbish.
0: Yeah, it seems like, it seems like at the very least, Damon Albarn has a very complicated relationship with America that has sort of been explored a lot in his music over the years. And
1: this is his first time doing a major tour in America in almost ten years.
0: But, you know, a guy who has now since called Gorillaz his American band. You right, know? So that's yeah. So that's an evolving relationship he has with this country. So
1: this one uh, doesn't really play into the Hero's Journey uh, narrative that I'm going to talk about, but I do think it serves as a great... Uh, Kind of table setting piece where we're introduced to where this whole album is going to play out. We're introduced to the moods that Damon is uh, wrestling with. You know, this song sounds very tired, very dogged, like exhausted, kind of haunted.
0: And and there is sort of a sort of a, a spooky vibe to the the melodic choices that are being made in this uh, song. Yeah, it makes
1: makes the tour buses or whatever sound like a ghost train.
0: I just wish it was arranged differently. I wish it was two minutes shorter. That's my feeling. Not top three for you? Not top three for me. You know what I'm going to do, Trevor? After every song that we talk about on the fall, I'm going to ask you a question, or I'm going to ask the podcast a question, which is Does the transition between this song and the next song work? Now, haphazard was one of my words, Trevor. I think that the sequencing on this album, the decision to make this album in chronological order... I think was a fucking mistake. I think that this album is a mess in this in the order that it's Blasphemy. In.
1: Resequ- you know, I am all about resequencing things. This is one case where it would absolutely dismantle everything that works about the record.
0: No, I totally disagree. I, in fact, this album has crossfade fever. There is so much crossfading on this album, and I think the reason is that they fucking knew it didn't work in the order they were putting it out, and they tried to create the illusion of flow by crossfading it to shit.
1: All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about. We're going to talk about how this album progresses. Let's, I'm going to fix this record for you. By the time we're done, I'm going to have fixed this record for you.
0: And then by the time we're done, I'm also going to fix it. So, okay. so I'm going to say in between every, every song we talk about, does this transition work? And my answer, does this transition work between Phoner and Revolving Doors, is that it, yeah, it's neutral. Sure, it works. Okay, how do you feel about revolving doors? Revolving doors was recorded on October fifth in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I, I, this is often cited as the best song on the album by a lot of uh, Gorillaz listeners. I do not agree with that. I think it has things about it that are effective. Um, I'm really turned off by the by the lyrics of the song and sort of how melodramatic and self important they seem. It's got um
1: it's got that rhinestone eyes syndrome that I don't think you like.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like the the fact that that Damon Albarn, a man well into his sort of umpteenth major international tour is writing this song about the outside of the tour saying what will i become like motherfucker you're in your 40s you've become everything you're going to become you're a multi-millionaire you're going to go on a tour and it's going to end right but at the same
1: time those are kind of some thoughts and feelings you'd be expressing if you're looking at this kind of hero's journey that you're about to go on which i have some stuff to talk about with this song
0: that's fine i will say i do love the the timpani that that brings in the synth when the synth drops mm-hmm. i do think that that hook's pretty strong i like the name track of the beatles that's cool yeah
1: this song is really just about damon being kind of bored in a diner and listening to the beatles and of course he uses uh, the revolving door as this imagery to kind of uh express this never-ending cycle he feels trapped in playing a show being in a town packing up going to another town Playing another show and repeating that ad infinitum. I think that this is where our hero's journey actually starts. And it starts in a place that Joseph Campbell refers to as the ordinary world, which Damon here represents with acoustic instrumentation. This song is very, what is it at a ukulele? It's very ukulele driven.
0: Yeah, it's a ukulele that's almost being played like a guitar, a little a little riff. Yeah, so here that he's playing. the journey
1: has not started yet, even though we are on tour. Damon hasn't, you know, begun this descent into his it or whatever you want to call that thing anyway this
0: one's cool probably top three for me i will say that while i while i find the lyric what will i become to be insufferable it actually does play really nicely into your read of this being a hero's journey in the outset of it dude so much is going to do that just buckle in (laughs) all right uh does this transition work does the transition between revolving doors and hillbilly man work yes one of the better transitions on this album cool very nice let's talk about hillbilly man this was recorded on october 10th and 11th in camden new jersey and fairfax virginia camden new jersey is where i saw them on the tour hey and it features uh additional guitar
1: by mick jones there he is i don't know i haven't come up with some kind of symbolic representation about what he means on this track but i will say that this is the song in which we uh answer joseph campbell's call to adventure and cross the threshold into what he refers to as the special world, which, uh, for the sake of this podcast, I'm going to call The Road. The Road! I like it! This is where our hero, who I'm going to call The Traveler, crosses the threshold into kind of this more abstract area full of challenges and foreign elements. This like happens, like I think, halfway through the song, during that beat switch-up. We lose the acoustic instrumentation of the first part of the ordinary world and find ourselves like surrounded by this cold kind of experimental ipad pop that predominates the rest of the album
0: and, and a similar transition is made back in revolving doors too the, the the structurally these two songs are not that different from each other actually right but here we just that acoustic guitar doesn't even stay in the picture yeah it doesn't it doesn't get pushed back to the mix it actually gets pushed out entirely yeah so things aren't
1: just looming anymore now we're here
0: um i want to talk about observation and ob- this album being observational uh go for so, it so so obviously a lot of people call this a tour diary. I think even more than that, it's really reflective of the kind of Media and music that was playing Around Damon at this time um, I, I decided to go back and listen to a lot Of like radio hit Hip hop from 2010 to see what kind of Jams were playing in the car uh, On this tour okay. and boy So many of the drops sound So much like the drops in this song And so many of the hooks sound like The hooks in this song I love the hook on this Song uh, me too this is so close to my Top three it just it just barely gets Edged out but that that Billy Man like <laughs> hillbilly yeah. How Low by Ludacris and Lose My Mind by Young Jeezy. Both of those songs. Go listen to those songs. Like, it's it's really clear, like, what Damon was absorbing from the culture around him that he was feeding directly into these songs. Gorilla's Ludacris collab when? <laughs> Soon,
1: hopefully, right? The beat switch in the middle does kind of feel very abrupt, though. It's
0: almost like a kind of unpolished version of the Empire Ants drop. Yeah, it is. It is what passes for proggy in the gorillas canon uh it's got those donka horns those donkomatic horns which uh which which damon clearly had a real serious intense love affair with at this Mm -hmm. time fucking loved those synth horns didn't he he did trevor does the transition between uh hillbilly man and detroit work not really but at least it's clean at least at least they let hillbilly man end before they move on to detroit now let's move on to detroit this was recorded on october 13th in detroit michigan All right, Detroit is when
1: we uh, firmly have both of our feet planted on this road in this kind of special world.
0: Okay, so basically in your in your read of the album, we've crossed the threshold, right? Detroit means we're officially, we've moved into the underworld, if you will, of the road. Right, and this song kind of finds
1: uh, Damon beginning to experiment with the kind of new abilities he has here, i.e. playing with his iPad. And uh, kind of trying to figure out how he's going to use this in order to maybe cope with being on the road and the emotions that are coming with it
0: this is uh, this is top three for me on this album. Nice this is a good one this is a cool little jam. It really reminds me of, of Portofino by Raymond Scott, or, or other kind of early electronic pioneer type music. You know,
1: this song makes me think of um, Wonderful
0: Little Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. Sure, yeah, absolutely. You know what it doesn't make me think of is Detroit, Michigan. Like, yeah, I can't say I've been, but this isn't how I picture it sounding. Well, I just associate that town with like Belleville Three techno and really dark, you know, industrial sounding uh, music. And insane clown posse. And insane clown posse and Eminem. I just think that this song has like really good, strong melodic elements and it does not overstay its welcome I cannot stress that enough that is a virtue on the fall this song does what it needs to do it makes all the points that it needs to make and then it moves the fuck on I really think we're actually in a really strong section of the album right now I think that these are these tracks here are, are some of the stronger on the record uh, uh, at least for now yeah at this least is solid now. there's
1: also a great moment in that pirate radio episode where um, 2D and Murdoch kind of play this live where they're just like playing the track and Kind of uh, offering commentary over it, almost like we do. Murdoch is like, uh, "How would you say that Detroit sounds?" And 2D's like, "Well, I'd say it sounds a little bit like this." And then like another synth comes in. He's like, "And then I'd say it sounds a little bit like that." And <laughs> Murdoch the whole time is going, "Yeah, that's great. Do you mind if I do some? Uh, do you mind if I do some vocals?" And he goes, "Yeah, just sing into this." And he, you start to hear that kind of weird, like little bloopy counting in the background. So I guess those are canonically Murdoch vocals.
0: That's awesome. I love that. I will say that the reason that this is in my top three is I was driving on Interstate 45, Trevor, and the song came on and it was like sunny out, but not oppressively hot. So I rolled my windows down and I cranked the volume up on this and man just fucking, I felt the sunshine, dude. I felt the sunshine. Trevor, does the transition between Detroit and Shy town work? Um, yeah, it actually works pretty decently. There's actually a really good uh, little piece of note matching on the first kind of sting of shytown town and the last note of Detroit that kind of makes this feel like a more intentional transition than a lot of them. Glad it gets your approval. Let's talk about Chi-Town. This was recorded on October 15th. In Chicago, Illinois, and of course, the name is sort of a wordplay because Chi Town, Chi Town, Shy City. Uh, this sounds like the menu music for a street racing video game. I
1: think this is, I think this starts a little cool little stretch of the album. Things take a little bit of a gloomier and spookier turn. I think, uh, to symbolize that our traveler is beginning to face some of those challenges that would inevitably face him in this uh special world on the road, or rather, as Damon's frustration and malaise begins like more. Prominently influencing uh, the music.
0: I like it. I like it. Uh, I feel like that this this song does a pretty serviceable job capturing that kind of uh, city at night feeling, which which humans does obviously brilliantly. And I like the the little spoken intro. Friday Chicago really makes it feel yeah. like it's a it's a diary entry. You know. Um, mm-hmm. I wish that the drums were better or even just louder. Uh, but as far as the loop itself goes, the synth loop goes, I think it's pretty catchy. I think this this song's fine. I like the real introverted nature of this song,
1: especially coming from the uh, title, Shy town Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it kind of like, um, maybe implies that Damon was kind of, uh, a little more introverted at this point.
0: Yeah, not feeling like he wanted to meet a million people, which I'm sure you have the option to do every day on a tour like that.
1: He's almost more comfortable talking to his iPad, as we can see from that, like, little sample at the beginning. And probably just more comfortable expressing himself through music than with words to other people.
0: Yeah, the song sounds, I'll say this, the song sounds very folly. Like, this is, this is the fall sound, you know? Sort of whispered vocals, not quite whispered, but, you know, recorded in a hotel room type vocal so there's no belting happening and you've got to... Intra- introspective, int- introverted. We're deep into the descent now. This is where we begin it. Uh, Trevor, does the transition between shytown Town and Little Pink Plastic Bags work? Fuck no! One of the worst on the albums. Like this crossfade. If somebody did this at a at a house show or something, you would people would boo. This is a terrible transition. Like I think it works super well. Oh, I hate it! I hate it. Let's talk about Little Pink Plastic Bags. This was recorded on October sixteenth, also in Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, Chicago being the only tour stop to have produced two songs on the fall, and there are also additional keyboards on the song, by none other than Gorilla's live keyboardist Jesse Hackett. Nice. I do always associate this one with um, Shy
1: town I really do like the transition between the two. I'm sorry. Oh, I think it sounds like garbage! It's like the worst one on the album for me, anyway. I don't think we've really taken a thematic step forward here yet, but I think a pink plastic bag kind of floating in the breeze is a good metaphor for how maybe powerless and out of control of his own direction that Damon felt at this point in his life. Do you remember that
0: really pretentious douchebag in American Beauty? <laughs> Are you saying that's what I sound like right now? No, I'm saying that's what David sounds like on this song when he when he when he sings philosophically about. Plastic bags blowing in the wind. Or Katy Perry. Uh, I think that there is, like, this is one of those songs where I wish that this album was like Demo Crazy, and he had taken these sketches and gone into a studio and done something with them, because I think there's a song in here, I just think it's being strangled to death by that moronic fucking bass line that doesn't stop through this entire song. The (sniffs) bump, bump, bump. I like that, dude. It's got such a cool little, like, sneaking move to it Ooh, i fucking hate it i don't hate the song again i think that the hook and the idea here might have been worth further exploration uh but i feel like other than that little kind of telephony synth solo there's nothing this song goes nowhere in the second half like i love that melody though
1: little pink plastic
0: bass. i agree I agree. I mean it, to me this, this feels like what I need a gun would have been like on demo crazy. Like I wish he had had grabbed it and, and done a little something something with it. But you know something. Does this transition work between plastic bags and Joplin Spider? I think that there's enough space between the two songs because of the conversation that happens at the beginning of Joplin Spider that it doesn't really matter. That, 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 that conversation—Are we
1: talking about Joplin Spider right now? Should we yeah. start playing it? That conversation is a nasty little trick Damon plays on you, right? Because yes, it it's is. Very quiet in the mix. You really gotta listen for it. And as soon as you're like focusing just enough to actually kind of make out what they're saying. He hits you with that
0: Yeah, that saw blade synth uh, this yes. song was recorded on October 18th in Joplin Missouri the conversation by the way is uh, is between Damon and his bodyguard Darren Smoggy Evans uh, I think that the best line in the conversation it's about they, they, one of them has a spider in their hotel room is what the conversation is about <laughs> okay. but the best line in the conversation is when Smoggy goes you know spider venom is extra painful to primates I'm so so happy, Trevor. You know, I'm okay. I'm very excited that we're going to hear two new Gorilla songs this week. Yeah. I'm equally excited that I never have to listen to the Joplin Spider again for as long. Oh, this as one live. fucking rocks, dude. This one's great. <laughs> this is my least favorite song on the fall by a country mile.
1: This one's really cool. It's also one of the most interesting, I think. Okay, because there's an element of uh, Campbell's hero's journey. He refers to as the temptress which is usually some kind of character, frequently a seductive woman that shows up and tries to seduce the hero away from their goal and lead them into ruin. Correct. So this song kind of feels like an abstract representation of that whole idea. Like um, given that the temptress is frequently a woman, it's it's interesting how Damon like assigns a female pronoun to the spider. It's interesting that he uses a spider uh, to begin with because that's a creature known for ensnaring its prey in a trap. The spider is in a ditch, which is somewhere you might fall off into off the main road and get stuck. True. And uh, Damon's lyrics mention sailors washed up on the shore, which could be like almost an allusion to uh, the Greek sirens
0: who would like. Uh,
1: right. I was about to say like Odysseus or something. Yep. Exactly. Call sailors out until they are uh, end up shipwrecked and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: I think that uh, that saw blade synth obliterates whatever the song is trying to be. I mean, I think that Damon. That's the siren song, dude. I think that Damon's sort of Native American chant verse that he's doing here, which is something... That's like a Brian Wilson move. Brian Wilson mm-hmm. used that move quite a bit. I think it's fine, but it's not enough to save this song from itself. I'm, I'm, I am I'm, would tense up every time this song came out. I listened to this album once or twice a day, every day for the last week, and boy, by the end of that week, I was so ready to bid farewell to the Joplin Spider forever. This is so
1: close to being top three for me. Just an all out assault of like lasers and synths and zombie vocals. Not for Dylan. How do you think? What do you think about that transition though?
0: Uh, I think the crossfade sucks I think that they should have let Joplin Fade out and then this could have The the Parish could have sounded like The first song of a new Section or a new site or whatever but for Some reason they felt the need to make them Stand all over each other's dicks And I think it sucks Uh, Let's talk about The Parish of Space Dust This was recorded on October 19th in Houston, Texas, that's where I am Uh, It samples Cowboy Town by Brooks and Dunn, it samples Wichita Lineman by Glenn Campbell, it's samples Hawaiian War Chant by Spike Jones. It samples a little bit of talk from Country Legends 97.1 FM with Don Gallo and Chuck Akers. I put that station on this week to see if I could catch uh, Dan and Chuck uh, on the, on the mic. I could not, but I did hear some some country classics if you were curious. Great. This is um number 1 on the album for me. I love this song. It is so close to being in my my top 3, dude. This was this was barely edged out uh, I love. There's like Damon's using some like opera chords in this. Just a very interesting, weird operatic chord progression. It's so vast and anthemic. And you gotta love that rare Gorillaz song in three quarter time. There aren't too many of those. Yeah. Uh, I love that one moment where where he sings when he goes low on where the mountains die and today is golden, and like his voice gets sucked up by the vocoder mm-hmm. for that low note. Yeah, I could have used more of this song. Like, I wish that there was a little bit more here. I, it's I, a li- it is a little too short. Obviously, this is a very observational song as well, because he's sort of like taking country western music and twisting around in his brain until it becomes this sort of almost this grand musical number, almost this Rodgers and Hammerstein, Oklahoma musical number about, uh, about the South. So I, th-
1: like I said, this is my favorite uh, song on the album. And I think this is one of the biggest turning points in our journey. This is where, as we cross into Texas for this, these next couple of three songs, this is where our traveler enters what Campbell refers to as the belly of the whale, which oh, is like yeah. the lowest part of your journey in which the hero must face their most significant challenges. In the belly of massive dick. Exactly. <laughs> and I think Parrish kind of sounds triumphant at first, but I almost hear Damon at his most defeated here. Like it's almost like he's developed Stockholm syndrome with this challenging nightmarish environment around him that's, like, compelling him to make beautiful music about this landscape he's imprisoned by. and But, like, the absurdity of the situation just kind of results in something that sounds almost like a big cosmic joke. Like, Damon trying to sing a beautiful anthemic ode uh, to, like, this kind of almost like a wasteland in America, both in terms of, like, geography and, like, I'm not trying to get political, but, you know. It's just funny to hear him singing this big song while, like, what I always imagined was like a right-wing radio personality smirks God bless
0: Texas in the background behind him.
1: I feel like the song has a real, like, I love Big Brother vibe to it.
0: I totally get that. I totally get that. The transition, by the way, between Parrish and Snake in Dallas isn't the clunkiest on the album, but I feel like these two songs have almost no business being sequenced next to each other. Like, what a weird, what, what a weird dashing of, of a momentum that was begun to be built by, by Space Dust. No, we're just keeping. We're just gonna keep moving through the belly, dude. We're traveling through Texas. The Snake in Dallas. Trevor was recorded on October 20th in Dallas, Texas. I have no other trivia to tell you about it. However, can I talk to you about snake imagery then? Yeah, talk to me about snakes.
1: All right, cool. So we're still in the belly of the whale at this point. I think it's interesting that Damon chooses to uh, kind of put a snake in his album because snakes are symbols for different things, you know. Uh, there are of, often um the snake can invite to the mind an image of the uh, I don't know if I'm actually pronounced it right but ouroboros oh yeah the
0: ouroboros I'm pretty sure that's how you say it a
1: snake eating its own tail to form this kind of endless circle an endless cycle that Damon could have used uh
0: let's let's re- not forget
1: phallic symbol 101 that's I didn't even think about that man there's so much stuff about snakes but yeah a snake eating itself making an endless circle definitely could be a metaphor for Damon being on this endless road of tours just you know Starting someplace
0: should be. Could also be something you know, something dangerous looming in a dark corner. That too, but at the same time,
1: snakes are also symbols of rebirth. They shed their skins in a form of renewal.
0: I like that. You know what? I'm so glad that you have all those contacts to tell me about this song because boy, there's really not a lot going on in this song. Uh, I think it's really cool. I think it'd be a good hip hop beat. I think that the. I think that the the dun 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 da. Uh, like it's It's really obvious All the melodic ideas On this song Seem really obvious to me I the, I guess that little Kind of rattlesnake uh, Synth loop Is kind of interesting Um mm-hmm. I don't know. It feels like an alternate title for this song could have been like, "Sorry, I haven't finished writing Amarillo yet, so this is gonna have to do for now." <laughs> uh, I think
1: it's cool though. I just, I just like it as like another instance of Damon needing to escape an endless circle, like revolving
0: doors. I certainly your read of your read of this song is only enhancing it. This has, yeah, this has exactly. nothing to do but gain from your from your uh, your mythological read of it. And
1: you know, this isn't the last time that Damon will experiment with rebirth imagery on this album either. So let's uh, keep going.
0: Yeah, uh, the transition between Snake and Dallas uh, and Amarillo is fine. Dallas actually ends, and Amarillo is not a terrible clash in tones with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk about Amarillo. It was recorded on October 23rd in Amarillo, Texas, and it it includes a a, a, a guitar, which is a Portuguese stringed instrument. Um, This is absolutely top three on this album for me, uh, without a doubt. I love this melody. I love the lyric. Uh, put a Little Love Into My Lonely Soul. I love... This sounds like a Broken Bells or like a Play era Moby song almost. It does sound like Broken
1: Bells. This one has a real kind of Danger Mouse vibe to it.
0: Definitely. It's just dripping with vibes and atmosphere. And, I, you know, I've made this drive, Trevor, from Dallas to Amarillo before. And... Uh, it makes you feel like a it makes you feel a little bit like you're the only person alive on the earth. Like it's it's there's nothing happening in between these two cities and many, many hours to drive. It's just planes of emptiness. And once you get to Amarillo, it it's more or less kind of like a tiny suburban town, but it feels like you've arrived in some kind of roaring metropolis, you know? I don't know, the the, the, the vibes of the song, like the imagery that I get from this song, uh, I grabbed this for my, my own personal Best of Albarn playlist. I think it's so strong. I think that this is a a, just an all around an absolute success. Not only on the terms of the fall, but just on terms of it working as a song.
1: Yeah, this one is a big fan favorite. It's never really gotten there for me. I'm not super in love with the kind of broken bell style of production, and I think I this one suffers from what I said before in terms of something you don't like, rhinestone eyes syndrome. Yeah, there is there's a little bit purpley writing. Yeah, like I wasn't. A- I would expect. I would actually expect you to dislike this one for the same reason you dislike uh, "Revolving Doors." Like that, put a little love into my soul thing. I don't know. I'm just not
0: really buying it here. Maybe the maybe the delivery is helping it for me, but I don't know. Something, something oh, the like, delivery is so feels so stilted for me. This all works. This all checks out for me. This all passes the sniff test.
1: For I me. will say though that I do like this song as a representation of uh, the phase of the journey that Campbell refers to as the approach in which our hero prepares to face their greatest challenge. This really sounds like the very lowest part of the journey. Like, Damon is is at his most emotionally vulnerable. And it really sounds kind of like he's the underdog in this challenge that he's about to face. And this is really the dire time where he's got to, it's either make or break here.
0: It also feels like there's a kind of a classic moment in, in a hero's journey, which is sort of the weightlessness before before the storm, you know? Yep, exactly. That, that moment where you're, you're gearing up to go face off the big boss that you're about to battle or whatever it definitely has that it definitely has that that weightlessness atmosphere you know and
1: after this is over we head into those proving grounds to face that ominous kind of presence
0: with a with a transition that i that i think actually works pretty well i think that amarillo gets a full fade out and speak at mountains feels like a new section is starting even though uh even if it's maybe a little bit a little bit of a trick but i but i think uh i think that this is a moment where this album feels intentionally sequenced to me Yeah, welcome to the Speak It Mountains. Uh, Recorded on October 24th in Denver, Colorado, but also the stream and forest noises were recorded uh, in Santa Fe, New Mexico on October 25th. So along with uh, Hillbilly Man and one other song, this is is one of three songs on the fall that includes two sessions worth of work, courtesy of Mike Smith recording some forest and stream noises. And uh, very prominently, by the way, Trevor, it features the app uh, Speak It, text-to-speech. Are you ready? uh, I mean, you
1: should strive yourself in here, because this is, of course, the climax of the journey. So I've got a little bit I'd like to say about this song.
0: Yeah, I'll just say, before we get into the mythology, I'll say that this is one point where I feel like the context really helps this album. Like, I remember the first time I listened to The Fall, front to back, I was really charmed by the fact, like, oh, he's taking this whole iPad album concept to its breaking point and and finding creative ways to to build an album with an iPad, you know? Mm -hmm, mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think this song
1: finds our traveler finally facing what Campbell refers to as the ordeal which is the great task that the entire journey has been leading to it's the climax of the entire journey and this song is the centerpiece of the album okay it explores like the themes in their entirety albeit very subtly okay so the song is kind of driven by this ominous text-to-speak voice right it is the dawn that uh, towards the end begins counting yeah it counts to seven i believe it counts to seven now seven is a number rife with symbolism and meaning okay i don't need to tell you that right
0: I mean, it's a, I know biblically it's it's a, it's like a holy number,
1: yep. but I'd like to talk specifically about the seventh card in a deck of tarot cards, which sure. is the chariot. You know, I'm kind of in a tower, right? We've talked about this. I use it to like um a lot of people use tarot cards to like divine the future, but you know, that's kind of fake. So I just kind of use the meaning behind these cards to kind of reflect on where I'm at in my
0: life at the moment. yeah, it's a cool idea,
1: yeah. So the tarot is a deck of seventy eight cards, which uh, they're commonly used to divine the future, like I said. Um, And the seventh card in A Deck of Tarot Cards is the Chariot. And the Chariot can represent, like, uh, two things. It can symbolize a lack of control over your life and collapse under pressure and stress, which is something Damon was probably wrestling with while on this tour that, you know, he was doing to promote an album he probably wasn't super satisfied with.
0: Oh, yeah, especially because now he says things like, oh, doing my own drum programming was a mistake and things like that, you know.
1: However, the Chariot can also represent victory, which is usually accomplished by disciplining yourself and uh, channeling your frustrations creatively in order to overcome, like, internal opposition and restore balance to your life.
0: Obviously, obviously, a chariot, you think of it as being propulsive. Of course,
1: and interestingly enough, the chariot card is also a representation of being on the road, a journey. Nice, I like it, I like it. This is all, this is all linking up pretty good, my friend. Really weird kind of cosmic stuff going on in this album, right? Anyway, so that's how um, Damon's use of the number seven kind of turns this song into the big centerpiece of the album that kind of represents all of the background and moods that went into its creation.
0: I think that this transition between the Speak It Mountains and Aspen Forest works just fine. I think that because the Speak It Mountains feels like a a palate cleanser and an interlude and a gear shift, you could almost get away with putting anything right after it, but Aspen Forest is not a bad choice, as things stand. Uh, Aspen Forest was recorded on October 25th and November 3rd in Santa Fe, New Mexico and Vancouver, BC. The reason that it was uh, it it had a second session is uh, it has a guest musician by the name of James R. Grippo, who comes in to play an instrument called a kanun, which is like a Turkish harp type instrument that you hear towards the end of the song I want to talk about that kanun, and it also features additional bass by Paul Simonon uh, on it and this is my favorite song on the fall for sure
1: this is number two for me.
0: Fucking love this song. I've had it stuck really in my good. head all week. I think it's melodic. I think it's bouncy. It's fun. It's strong. It's memorable. Like, like almost all of these songs, I have to think for a second. Or, okay, what, what is Snake in Dallas again? This song is so memorable to me. Every few measures, they, they bring in a new element. Uh, each one is like a pleasant surprise and, and really adds something, you know? I love the tone of the piano on this song. That The cadence of the bass line, Trevor, the the do 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 that's so phase one-y. That's so star Mm-hmm. To me, you know. Like mm-hmm. this song could have, this song could have shown up on G sides for sure, and I would have thought like it, it fit right in. Um, I love, I love the fact that it starts with this sort of babbling stream sound, and then each element comes in one at a time because it makes me feel like right. you're 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 hearing something go from a single cell organism sort of. Primordially crawling onto a riverbed uh, uh, Growing into like a big funky dinosaur That's what I think of when I hear this song See, I interpret
1: that build as kind of us Picking ourselves back up And putting ourselves back together After having faced and ultimately survived The ordeal that uh, the Speak It Mountains represents Sure Like, this song sounds like that Kind of like, uh, almost, not quite the resurrection phase But definitely, now we've done it we passed the test, we've gotten what we need uh, we've survived the ordeal, and now we find ourselves on the road back to the ordinary world. This is a keeper, this song. Yeah, this is a as keeper. it builds, it so- starts to sound like more hopeful. It sounds very gorilla, y it's this is like where we've realized something about ourselves that'll be able to help us moving forward. And interestingly enough, do you know what New Mexico's state motto is? I don't. I don't offhand. It grows as it goes. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and of course, now that we're returning to the... Uh, The ordinary world, acoustic instrumentation is coming back in. That canoe slowly starts to fade back up at the very end of the song. Uh, showing that, now we're back in the ordinary world. We're,
2: That's we're back. such a We've cool
0: little it. piece, too. I love how it's kind of echoing some of the earlier melody lines that you've heard in the song, you know, but played on this kind of otherworldly type thing. It's really nice. It's a, it's a nice moment. The transition between Aspen Forrest and Bobby and Phoenix is not great. I think that there's not enough space between the two songs, and then, like, Bobby and Phoenix just kind of hit with this huge blues scale, and it really wrecks the vibe that Aspen Forrest has kind of built for me. Um, but it's not ruinous. <laughs> um, Uh, Bobby and Phoenix, Trevor, was recorded on October 26th in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, It features vocals and guitar by Bobby Womack. Bobby does not uh, get a composer credit on this song, but he does get an arranger credit on this song. That's cool. Nice. Way to go, Bobby. And speaking of the arrangements, I think that Bobby is making some amazing chord choices on this song. I love the guitar part. There's some chords that he's playing that are just so jazzy and diminished and and full of texture and they just some of the way that this chord progression resolves are so far from obvious but so warm and I don't know if it's my favorite Bobby Womack moment with the Gorillas I don't think it is but it's the most like I feel like you get the most of his personality uh, of any of his other performances. On this song. It's very candid. Yeah, and his voice is still sounding really lovely. I mean, there's obviously a really emotional moment when he sings, uh, I can slowly see my life fading away. Um, Of course.
1: Yeah, it's a little sparse, but I think it's pretty effective. Yeah, one of my favorite things about this song is how it plays into this uh, Campbellian journey that we've been on, right? So, of course, this song is acoustic guitar driven, signaling that we're back in the ordinary world. And upon our arrival back in this world, uh, we find ourselves, like, in a stage of the journey that Campbell calls Atonement with the Father. Right, of course. Which usually involves an audience with a powerful male authority figure who typically, like, bestows some kind of approval on the hero. And, of course, Bobby Womack is this huge
0: musical icon and in Damon's life. Sometimes sometimes the atonement with the father, he needs to kick your ass a little first. Sometimes he right. needs to show up and like you need to prove yourself to that dude. You need to show and, him but that you I think I think this whole tour
1: has been us proving himself to us. So like that's um it's nice that he gets this kind of audience with Bobby Womack here.
0: And Phoenix being named after a sort of a, a, a rebirth symbol, you know, a firebird that it symbolizes. Of course, a mythological
1: creature that is synonymous with life, death, and rebirth.
0: Yeah, let's talk about Phoenix. Yeah, know?
1: let's talk about Phoenix. Let's talk about what's been going on this entire album. That is nice how that, how, that, how that comes together. And a rebirth out of that chaos.
0: I also really, hats off to you. I really love the idea of, of the electronic elements representing the underworld and the acoustic elements representing the overworld. I think that's, a, that's astute. It's really nice how we start one place, go to some else, and then we wind back up where we started. And we get an okay transition. I think that the the this is another example where using chatter and an interlude to sort of spread out two songs helps it not feel like it's clashing, you know? So it doesn't mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. matter if the two songs pair well together. Uh, let's talk about California and the Slipping of the Sun, which was recorded on October 30th in Oakland, California. The, it features a train station annou- announcement recorded uh, at Los Angeles train station. And it's got a conversation that features uh, Smoggy Evans, the bodyguard. It's got Mick Jones in it. It's got Tanyal Vadetten, who is one of Damon's managers. And uh, it also features one Mr. Jamie Hewlett, meaning technically we have another legitimate Performance credit on a Gorilla song from Jamie Hewlett. No Ray Gun this time, though, unfortunately. No Ray Gun, unfortunately. This pick, the folk pick pattern, Trevor, doesn't it remind you of the good, the bad, and the queen? A little bit, yeah, definitely. I could see that. I love the, I think the first section is really lovely, but I feel like, the, again, this is hurt by being a closer. Like, I think that this song is really interesting and multisectional, and it's maybe a little bit elliptical, and, and it's got a bunch of ideas, and none of them quite land in an interesting way, in an interesting way that builds tension, but using a tension-building type song as your closer, like, I don't think that this song, as a closer, hurts the fall the same way that that... Phoner as an opener hurts the fall, but I think that this song as a closer hurts California in the slipping of the sun. I think that the song would have been more memorable and more interesting uh, somewhere in the middle than, than here as a closer. Um, I do like that little vocoder, the same vocoder that we kind of heard at, uh, at in Phoner that brings in the little synth outro. I like that. And that's also quite Campbellian because, of course, heroes' journeys are circles. You're supposed to end up where you started, you know? Yep, and this, uh, this ends our journey with our traveler having become
1: uh, what Campbell calls the master of both worlds they've conquered the special world they've brought the knowledge and rewards that they've done that they've gained by doing so back into the ordinary world and here we see that with this kind of mix of electronic and acoustic instrumentation and this kind of outro that almost sounds like damon is like ascending to some kind of higher plane of realization i think
0: yeah and and also just again that whole first section of the song i think is really pretty california
1: yeah. i like it too when it goes off into this more kind of mysterious driving section i like that as a little kind of Ambiguous kind of ending on a weird note.
0: I suppose so. I suppose so. I would I would sequence it differently. I just I, th- I I kind of wrote this song off the first few times I listened to this song because it didn't quite feel like an ending to me. But I but I've come to really appreciate it. I think.
1: Well, it's not really the ending. We still got one track left. On mm, I didn't write anything about this transition. This is top three for me. <laughs> No, I'm just
0: kidding. It's Seattle, Seattle Yodel. It was recorded on November 2nd uh, in Seattle, Washington, Trevor, and uh, it it samples the Archie McPhee yodeling pickle toy. Um, It's a meme. The song is a meme. It's sort of like the meme is that you pretend it's your favorite Gorilla song. Mm -hmm. I like it. I like that this album ends with a joke because what
1: is life and the ultimate journey of life but a divine comedy?
0: Perhaps, perhaps. uh, I don't have anything to say. what, What am I supposed to fucking say about Seattle Yodel, Trevor? something astute like i just said get to it it feels like damon thought i can't end it with california and just living in the sun because it doesn't feel like an ending what am i gonna do and then uh jamie said look at this thing that i bought today (laughs) at this gas station and jamie said that'll do (laughs) i like it it's a little it's nice little like eh. so dylan now that you've gone
1: through all these transitions and decided which ones work and which ones don't what is your perfect resequenced version of the fall look like
0: Well, I will say, begrudgingly, that your mythological retelling of The Fall makes me a little bit more tolerant of the retail sequencing. It's airtight. It is airtight. I mean, I think that as a listening experience, it's still quite, as I said, haphazard in that it feels like, why the fuck is this song happening right now? Oh, yeah, because it was finished in this order. I still say that that people would feel differently about this album if they had... Let us put together the chronological version and put out a retail version that was sequenced properly like an album. Here's my attempt to do that, Trevor. Okay. Um, I decided to divide these songs into three categories of types of songs and then use those categories as kind of three suites. That's fun. So the first suite is called the Club Slash Heavy sweet um we open with hillbilly man i think it's a great opening track we move into shy town we move to from there to revolving doors then the snake in dallas and finally we close sweet one with phoner to arizona now i will say if you if you create this uh this version of the album in your in your itunes or your spotify or apple music or whatever uh, i encourage you to it is going to be slightly marred by the fact that this album is crossfaded to fuck yeah, I assume this is, this would sound, ta- like, terrible. So I say that even with the fact that it begins and ends with a lot of snippets of other little songs, I still say that if you just squint a little bit, you'll feel the flow that could have been trapped. And I
1: say that throws off the entire cosmic narrative of the deeper level of things that Damon is working with here,
0: unbeknownst to him. But it makes it a better album of music. Okay, suite number two is the Breezy Slash Soulful Suite. Uh, It begins with Aspen Forest, from there we move to Detroit, then Bobby in Phoenix, Uh, Seattle Yodel as kind of a lead-in to the Speak It Mountains as the end of the breezy and soulful section uh, of the record, and then finally, Trevor, our last suite uh, I call the, the Mournful dirge suite. It begins with The Parish of Space Dust, then to Little Pink Plastic Bags, to Joplin Spider, then to California and the slipping of the sun. And finally, we close with Amarillo. Uh, I encourage you, by the way, if you're listening at home and have an idea about uh, either why the fall is perfect the way it is sequenced or how you might resequence it, that you reach out to us. Speaking of reaching out to us, Trevor, some people already have. We we had some, some brilliant fans of the fall and listeners of the podcast reach out to us and share their opinions quite generously with us about why the fall is so special to them. I guess what we learned here, Trevor, are that fall fans are, are normal folk, just like you or I. <laughs> yeah, totally.
1: They do not deserve the stigmas that they have received from the rest of the fan base, for sure.
0: Not at all. Not at all. Let's hear from them right now.
3: Yeah. Hello, today I'm going to be talking about why I like The Fall, why it's my favorite album from Gorillaz for the Hallelujah Monkeys track-by-track review of The Fall. So let's get into the story. The three adjectives I would use to describe The Fall would be hurt, unpredictable, experimental, defeated, raw, different, tired, Western, abstract. The Fall is my favorite Gorillaz album for two reasons. The sound and the feeling creates...
2: It's my favorite
3: Gorillaz album. I like the album the most because of its experimental feel. I love the beats of every song. I love the choice of instruments throughout the album, even if they are just electronic sounds. I can sum up why The Fall is my favorite Gorillaz album with one big, broad explanation. It directs all of its forces into the creativity that emotion can incite. Rather than focus on stylization or integrity or appeal, Default tries to communicate a mood. So the reason I like Fall is that it's the first Gorillaz album I was ever shown. It created this immediate attachment of this would be their last music they ever make. It's a musical headspace. This is my favorite
2: album cover from a Gorillaz album. It's um, the first one which actually shows them actually making the album in the studio in front of you. And I love that stuff, and I love the red. I think the red just describes the album itself
3: i for some reason thought that each of the main albums sort of focused on one member of the band so the self-titled was russell's album demon days was noodles album plastic beach was murdoch's album and then i saw the fall the fourth album as 2d's album my friend showed me the songs perish of space dust and bobby and phoenix and i listened to them phenomenal and i quickly fell in love with the idea that 2d made this album by himself on an iPad while on tour for Murdoch's album. I really don't care about the fact that the album was recorded on an iPad.
2: I just think they're very, very well-created, especially on an iPad. It
3: was nothing I had heard like I had heard before, at least not by a band this big. Every song flowed into the next one, which I thought was an amazing feat, it was something new to me. I like to compare the intro song founder, Zona, to, so to the intro of Demon Days, because they both take you into the mood of what has to come. Even the more upbeat songs on this album, like Detroit, have such a sad quality to them. Like his focus is on the thing he's singing about, but he just can't let go of how tired he is. For me, Revolving Doors sounds really hypnotic. Parish of Space Dust is my favorite Gorillaz song exactly because of this sort of tired longing that Damon conveys. It's probably my favorite Damon performance, and it just isn't long enough. I like Amarillo the most because of its melancholic atmosphere. It just creates this vivid world in my head while listening to it. It's not something like Plastic Beach where I think about it and I'm like, oh, They're on this island in the middle, they're in Point Nemo. I feel like this is a more coherent album than the self-titled or Plastic Beach. Uh, It's not as flashy as the other three main albums, but that's good. It's rough, but in that it's also raw. It has a sort of honest soul to it that can be lost in the more sparkly production of the other albums.
2: And it's nice just to hear a bit of gorillas that just acoustic it's nice to hear that instead of the full-blown thing like punk with the electric guitars.
3: All I could think of while listening to Humans was, this sounds sort of like The Fall. The Fall was more upbeat. For some reason, Humans reminded me of The Fall so much that it made me come back to The Fall after a couple of years. And still, I loved it. It isn't quite a quote-unquote story like Demon Days, which has an overarching message, It's a glimpse into what either Damon or 2D were feeling at the time. I love it because it gives
2: an insight into what it was like touring as Gorillaz, you know?
3: Now I see it more as an album about the experience of being on tour. Making an album is exhausting, and going on tour right after is even more so. This is an album about exhaustion, and he captured that tone perfectly. So you know that's all I gotta say about the fall. Favorite album, and yeah, later. And also, Seattle Yodel is just a masterpiece, and that can't really be argued.
0: Special thanks to listeners Miles, Izindel, Gabriel, Andy, Xander, and Raphael for contributing their awesome fall reviews uh, to our show. Yeah, I really liked
1: hearing what everybody had to say. I liked that one part about how um, each member has their own like different album. Like the first one is Russell's, second is Noodles, etc. I, I actually have seen like I feel like I've seen promo quotes about this album being two D's. Am I imagining that?
0: Doesn't that—I don't know if that that totally—I know that that's a popular fan read of the album. I actually think that uh, that listener really—that theory kind of checks out nicely. Uh, In fact, I'd even go one further. Let's say that the self-title is uh, is Russell, Demon Days is Noodle, Plastic Beach is Murdoch, The Fall is uh, 2D, and then Humans is everybody else because gorillas are, are, are a collaborative group.
1: Now, here's something I wanted to ask you, though. Now, after all we've talked about, now that we've been through it, we've spent all this time with the fall, do you consider it to be the proper fourth Gorillaz album?
0: Oh, my God. I'm going to have to think out loud for a second and then give you an answer. That's fine. So here's the problem. I think if we're talking if we if, if it was merely a question of whether or not commercially this should be considered a proper Gorillaz LP, I think it's no question it is. It has its own sessions that were specifically to make this album, which to me means that it's not a compilation, it's a, it's a it's a proper album. But the problem is that Gorillaz Looking at it from a fan, a Gorillaz album is the centerpiece of a phase. The Fall is never going to be the centerpiece of, of, of Phase Three. It has Plastic Beach to compete with, and for that reason, I feel like I have to qualify it as being more of a supplemental release. I don't like that. I wish that at the end of this journey, I could tell you, yes, it's it's the fourth Gorillaz album, but I just I, I find myself not being able to go there this
1: does feel more like a 2D solo album to me not just because it's one person making an album by themselves on their ipad but because it is so much a damon it is so much an exploration of damon auburn's psyche at this point that i really just do not think it fits into the same place as the proper gorillas albums do
0: and I think that part of the reason it seems to pair so nicely with being from the mind of 2D is that 2D, 2D started out in this band as kind of the dumb one, and that's still a part of his character, but he's also sort of become the sad one. You and know? kind of like the like, cosmically wise one at the same time. Yeah, like the, the drunken master.
1: Like, yeah. He seems and like I, an
0: idiot, but perhaps somewhere deep down in there.
1: I love that because all of this like, heavy conceptual stuff I've been talking about this entire episode, it's all by accident. And so I love 2D, like sitting down, like planking out a couple board tunes on his iPad to cope with like the nightmare of a tour and ending up telling some kind of universal story by accident.
0: I like that too. That is very 2D. I agree with you. I don't think this podcast could have hoped to make a more definitive statement on this album, Trevor. I'm really happy with the way this turned out. This might be, I'm going to say the fall
1: is probably my least favorite Gorillaz release. But this is my favorite episode of Hallelujah Monkeys so far, probably. Way to go, Ush! Who who would have thought, right? Who would have thought that the fall would be where it all comes together?
0: Yeah, no kidding. Uh, uh, What do you think of the fall? What do you think of this show? What do you think of whatever? Get in touch with us. You can hit us up uh, on Gmail at hallelujahmonkeys at gmail.com or on Twitter, twitter twitter.com slash gorillasfancast. On Instagram, instagram instagram.com slash hallelujahmonkeys. Uh, On Facebook, facebook facebook.com slash hallelujahmonkeys. We have a Discord server now. Go to discord.me slash monkeys with a Z. Uh, We want to hear from you. We want to hang out with you. We want to talk about gorillas and whatever else just life and the universe we love you guys and until next time i am dylan flynn i'm trevor icraft from revolving doors in london to a foggy day in boston (laughs) we're just little pink plastic bags blowing on a highway you had that one up your sleeve huh that's great see you guys next week bye